Hello, Marquette basketball fans. Welcome to another edition of the Golden Break. I'm your host, Adam Wolk. Shout out to the production team, Jeff Jabalina, Matt Mikus, Dr. Michael Keegan. It's been a minute, hasn't it? It has been a minute since I've gotten to talk to you. You know, here at the Golden Break, we've had all sorts of things going on. Yours truly here was on vacation, which was a fantastic getaway. Don't worry, I didn't miss a second of the games, and we got a lot to talk about. But also, too, congratulations to show producer Dr. Mike Keegan, who just welcomed in their third child. So it has been an eventful time here for the production team over here at the Golden Break. But don't worry, we are locked in for the remainder of the season. We'll be here with you every single week. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at the Golden Break. Hey, and don't forget also our live pod, National Marquette Day, Marquette Butler Travis Diener in the house, February 26th at Uncle Buck's. Join us live. And hey, maybe there might be some surprise guests along the way. This show might be a little all over the place. There is so many things to talk about. There are so many things to go through. Uh, but the first thing I want to start with is actually the DePaul Marquette game. And really, I just want to hit on a few points because that was a really exclusive look uh, at Shaka coaching uh, in a way that I thought huge props to the Big East, FS1, whoever the hell it was that put that together. We need more of that. And I think for Marquette fans, that was a real intimate view into who Shaka is. We've seen a lot in the press conferences. You know, we've got, he's been actually more available, I think, than Woj was. Um, And so we've been getting a good inside look, but I thought this game in particular was a fantastic point of view of who Shaka is and why we should be excited as a fan base. The first thing that I want to talk about from that DePaul game is how we got an inside look at how Shaka shapes the behaviors of his team on the defensive side of the ball. I come from a psychology background, and so... I'm not sure if Shaka does this on purpose or if this is something he has just learned over time. But when we look at behavior shaping, how we see it in the world of psychology, is instead of waiting for a subject to kind of exhibit the desired behavior and then reinforce it, any behavior leading to that target behavior is rewarded along the way, right? Marcel, for example, is a well-rounded defensive player. In order to be a well-rounded defensive player, you have to do multiple things very well. You have to close out well. You have to cover your gaps. You have to communicate, right? Well, with a really young team like this, I think what Shaka is doing is trying to instill all those different aspects of what makes a good defensive player. In this game, we were able to see how he does that in a way where it's almost like he micromanages every action on the defensive side of the ball. I know we tend to run from the word micromanage, but I think it's a good thing in this sense when we're talking about the behavior shaping theory because what we see out of Shaka is every small thing that one of his players does, he is yelling about as a coach. You hear him. Get in the gap. Nice job. Close out. Close out. He screams. He yells. But he's yelling at every defensive action from his players. One of my favorite moments from that game 
was when TK got into a gap, tipped a ball, dove to try to get it, went out of bounds. Shaka helps him up and slaps TK in the ass. Like, that is the reinforcement of a small behavior, hoping to eventually get that individual to the exire, ex, I'm sorry, desired behavior as a good all-around defensive player. I think that's what has really helped this team grow on the defensive side of the ball and become a good team defense is because you can see how Shaka goes out of his way to make sure that he positively reinforces the small things on the defensive side. He doesn't just say, hey, we've done a great job on defense. And if you actually put him up against Stubblefield in this game, really, listen, this is my opinion. I, I thought just watching that, I don't watch a lot of DePaul basketball, but just getting on the inside of Stubblefield, I thought he was really bad as a coach. Um, I thought he did a terrible job of helping, of trying to explain to his team what they weren't doing well. He kept yelling all these like real general statements like, you got to get down and play, you got to sit on D, you got to sit on D. Rather than when you see even how Shaka manages his team defensively with every action in a single possession, it was night and day in the way that you can tell how these coaches develop personnel. And we're going to talk about the development of personnel at the very end of this pod. But I wanted to take some time just to talk a little bit about the behavior shaping that I really enjoyed out of that. A couple other things in that DePaul game that I thought really stood out was hearing the players' voices. From Cam to TK, in the huddles, the players were actively talking to each other. They were running some of the huddles. We saw TK grab the board at one point and move the chips around showing where guys to go and Shaka sitting back and allowing them to do that. You know, we learned in the game against Nova, Shaka said that he allows his guys to pick who they're going to defend. Now, he stops them and says, obviously, if a point guard wants to get a center, he's going to jump in. But what a great way. He's finding that knack to know how when to step back and let his guys kind of do things. And he's watching. You know, he you could very much tell he's not going to let a small detail go. So he'll jump in if he has to. But to let these guys start to talk their way through things is a way for their IQ in basketball to increase. And you are seeing a basketball team with a high IQ. I, I actually think you can equate high IQ basketball to high assist numbers. And you can look at every analytic that you want and the assists for this team. And they're through a roof. It's not just Tyler. This team is fantastic at passing And I think that speaks to a high IQ. And when you start to see the way Shaka allows their voice to become the leaders in these timeouts, in the locker room, all the things that you're hearing, I think that ignites their development as players. I also think it's really interesting on how Shaka understands Justin Lewis. There's at one point in the game, Lewis was having uh, sort of just a tough couple minutes. Shaka pulls him and says to him, and you hear it on the mic, sit for a minute and get your mind right. We've heard Shaka talk a lot about making sure that Justin is in the right mental space. Again, 
Not because he's lazy. Not because he doesn't pay attention or play hard every possession. But there is, I think, something that Shaka understands about what Justin needs to make sure he is putting him in a position to succeed. He is meeting Justin where he is. That sort of empathetic ability from a college basketball coach working with 18 to 22-year-olds who are still a very emotional group of human beings. Just take a second, okay? Go back to being 18 to 22. Hell, go back to being 25 years old, right? I was not at my emotionally best. I was an idiot when I was at 18 to 22. I don't know how I survived half of the things that I did. I was not emotionally mature. When I look back at that version of Adam, that's not my best version. And I think sometimes when we sit back as fans and watch any sort of college sport, it's hard to always remember that. But what a great feature of who Shaka is as a coach. When you start to see his ability to help emotionally know where these guys are at and then put them in positions to succeed. Because at this point, there's no doubt that anyone can disagree with the fact that Justin Lewis has exploded under Shaka's leadership. A couple other just fun tidbits from that game as well. Just two other things. I already, like, I, I think Stubblefield stinks after watching this game and after hearing what John Fanta said about um, them passing up on John Shire for Stubblefield, that's going to haunt DePaul, in my opinion. Uh, watching him draw, I, I felt like the entire time all he was doing was erasing his board. Like he would just look over, he would draw something, and he would talk through how he was drawing it, not even talking about what he was drawing, and then erase it. The few times I saw him actually like draw a play out of the board, he wouldn't even explain it. He would just like draw it and show it to the play. Like, I didn't understand what was going on. And, and something that both coaches were doing, and, and something I, I've just seen a lot of coaches do over time that I've always found hilarious is there is nothing more frustrating for a coach when a guy doesn't catch a ball. They just literally scream, catch, catch the ball. And and like, you can't do more than that. Like there's just times where you've got some guys who've got bad hands or just plays where like, you know, the ball. And because coaches can't do anything to do that, like you can't control that part of the game that you can see their inability to control that one thing boils over into them just screaming, catch! So I just have always found that hilarious. But please bring us more of that. FS1, Big East, Marquette, whoever you are, bring us more of that. I will watch any basketball game that allows me that type of insight of any coach. I think it makes us all better as fans. The next thing I want to talk about is the rebounding problem. Um, you know, listen, in these last five games, hell, we have played fantastic, and we're going to celebrate that through this pod. But I want to hone in for a minute on, on what is happening when it comes to rebounding. Let's just look a little bit at the stats. We are 352 in the country in offensive rebounds given up a game. We are 280th in college basketball in offensive rebound percentage. Our defensive rebound percentage on threes is 69%, and that is in the ninth percentile of the league. And we ain't any good at the at the hoop either when it comes to the defensive rebound percentage. We were in the 12th percentile of the league. No matter how you slice it, no matter how you look at it, 
We are struggling rebounding the ball. And so I say this, is it that we have to get better at being a defensive rebounding team? Or do we have to find ways to mask it? I don't know if we can be better on the glass. I, I, I get it. No one is going to convince me that this is an effort thing. Uh, th- this, there's no one that is going to tell me that this team lacks effort. Um, is there times where maybe they lack awareness to be at the glass when they're supposed to? Yeah, I think that might be part of it. I think especially when you run a high octane offense that relies so heavily on transition offense. Um, I can see, you know, having a difficult time turning that switch on. Maybe to me, it's not about becoming better there, but making sure we're masking the problem by compensating in other parts of the game. So let's look at some statistics to see where can we mask, where are we masking the problem? Because we're winning these last five games. We're winning the last streak we've been on. This is, you know, we've been pulling through against really good teams while also being hot garbage on the glass. So what are we doing? And maybe what do we need to continue to do throughout the course of this year to mask that? Because listen, any college basketball team isn't going to be amazing at everything. So where's the first place that we can mask the problem? Well, defending the hoop, right? Because a lot of times, second chance opportunities are going to come at the hoop. Well, this year against Marquette, teams are shooting 55% for shots within four feet, which is 10 percentage points lower than the league average, and 41% from the paint, which is three points lower than the league average. We are a very good team at defending the hoop. And if we can continue to do that, it's going to help mitigate second chance opportunities. But let's dig into that a little bit deeper. Over the last five games, teams are shooting 41% on second chance shots, which is 99th percentile of the league, one of the best in the league. And if you think about it, you know, when you look at it, it makes sense because this team understands the concept of multiple efforts. You hear Shaka talk about it all the time. You see it from this team, especially in defensive rotations, right? When you're going to rotate to the next guy because you're off of a double team or guy gets beat off a screen and roll and your whole system rotates. We see this team do very well at the concept of multiple efforts. But when we give up an offensive rebound, when any team gives up an offensive rebound, there's the feeling that sometimes a team, that the air is going to get sucked out of them. Right on that second chance, it's like, God damn it, we gave it up. And and sometimes it's hard to pick up that effort in those moments. But that is something that Marquette has shown resiliency through. There is now, I mean, for a team who is always seems to be down five, six points in the last 10 minutes of the second half. And we could go through every single game and find these points where Marquette's down 10, Marquette's down eight, and they don't give up that it makes sense that we are stopping teams on those second chance points because of this team's mentality. So I think if we could continue to do that, that's one thing. The next thing is is generating extra possessions through turnovers. You know, we are in the 90th percentile uh, in basketball and generating turnovers. And 
you know, this team, obviously the way that they pressure and the tipped balls uh, and the way that we continue to pressure teams, we're going to keep doing that. If we can create the extra possession for ourselves by turning the team over for every offensive rebound we give up, we start to negate those opportunities. So I think if we could do these two things well, I think we can actually negate the rebounding problem that we're struggling with. You know, we're not, I just think that this might be something we're going to have to live with. And those are the things I'm going to watch closely over the next several games to see if we could continue to do that well. All right, let's talk about the Nova game. Whew, man, a great defensive game by both teams. Um, you know, awesome coaching on both teams. But let's focus uh, first here on the defensive game plan from Shaka. It was very clear in the way that they were deploying their defense that they were not going to let Nova uh, beat you from the arc. You know, and even though Nova got up, I think it was like 26, 27 attempts from the arc, which was around their average. I mean, they shot it horrendously. They were shooting in the 20% tile uh, or 20% range uh, from three that game. Uh, but what I thought you could tell in the way that they were attacking closeouts is they were frenetic, closing out anything at the arc. They almost, you could see, they didn't even almost care about the pump fake because one, Nova actually isn't a very good pump fake team from the arc. And we did such a good job of just rushing the shooter um, that we were able to put them in uncomfortable situations. And, you know, also... When you attack that hard to the arc or you push your guards up to get up into guys like, I mean, Tyler was in Colin Gillespie. He was going nowhere. He was, his chest bone was on Colin the entire game, it felt like. He wasn't going to give him an inch of space. And you could see in his three-point percentage for Gillespie was not good by the time that game ended. And that was really smart because we also were pushing Nova to do something that they're not really good at, and that's scoring at the hoop. Going into that game, Nova was averaging 25 points in the paint, which is in the 8th percentile of college basketball, while shooting over 35% from the arc, which is over the 75th percentile in college basketball. So when you start pushing guys towards the hoop, right? Because remember, whatever defense you deploy, you know, there's a weakness in it, right? However you attack a ball, so you might attack a ball screen one way to negate one offensive action, it's going to leave another offensive action open. You have to learn on what you're going to live with. And we were going to live with Nova trying to get their baskets at the hoop, which is where they got the majority of their points. And that's what you want them to do. And that's forcing them into our strength. And we are great at defending the basket. We are fantastic at it. And we did an even better job of making sure that we didn't foul, which is also something Nova isn't good at. They're ranked 198th in college basketball and free throw attempts. So if you think about that from Shaka's point of view, they don't do well at scoring at the hoop. They don't get out in fast breaks and score. They were averaging four points a game going into this in fast breaks, which is at the bottom of the league. So they don't score in transition. They don't score at the line. They are at the bottom of the league at scoring in the paint. 
you absolutely do everything in your power to make sure you stop this team from scoring at the arc. And not only did they do that well, but I think something that made it even more difficult is Marquette decided to apply full court pressure or three-quarter court pressure this time using a 1-2-2. And at the top, the one was Omax. The point of this and their pressure in this game was not to generate turnovers. Instead, knowing that Nova is a half-court team who runs a really great system but likes to get into a rhythm, he made this type of three-quarter court pressure, the one-two-two, is really there to make sure that you are killing time off the clock. And when you have a guy like Omax at the head of that, which I thought was such a great move. You talk about really knowing your personnel. Putting the athletic and length of Omax at the top of that forces the ball to the sidelines. And in a 1-2-2, two, two, that's what you want. No one, you cannot get beat in the middle. If you get beat in the middle in the 1-2-2, two, two, you know, then, then, then it's it's blown. Uh, and you're not dribbling around Omax. Not only are you not dribbling around him, even if you're trying to get a guy who cuts to the middle, you're not, you know, a point guard is not passing over him. And listen, you could have deployed Lewis, could have deployed Kurt. You know, there are other guys with length on that team, but you can really, with Omax, he really allows you to make sure that that type of pressure works the way that you want it to. And, you know, before the game, Jay Wright talked about wanting to get the ball over to the timeline as quickly as possible because he wanted to get into their stuff. And Shaka did not allow that. Shaka wasn't going to allow that. I thought the defensive game plan going into this from Shaka, and and everything I'm saying here is all in hindsight. You know, after this game, I, I went in and I looked at, you know, what Nova was good at uh, offensively. And when you start to look at the analytics... And then you look at what we schemed defensively. You have to give a standing ovation to Shaka for that. Fantastic, fantastic game plan on the defensive side of the ball. You know, some of the freshies struggled a little bit in this game. You know, Stevie and Cam, I think both had four minutes only in this game. Uh, Especially Cam, that's just not something we've seen a lot of in those limited minutes. But listen, you're on the road at Nova Top 10 team, one of the hardest places to play in the country, the biggest stage any of these guys have played on, any of the freshies have played on this year. Um, I actually thought it was good that, and you could tell in the game, you know, Cam had a couple of really bad possessions in the second half, especially had two really bad fouls, missed wide open three. and I thought it was good that in the last eight minutes of this game, he he benched uh, Omax and played Elliott for the end of this game. And I think this is way more than just his shooting. This was about way more than his shooting. Like even Omax didn't have his best game in this. Like I said, he was good in that one two two and was deployed well there. But that was a huge game even for Omax to be a part of. And having the veteran like Elliot play those crucial minutes down the last eight minutes of this game, I think is what made the difference. Yes, Lewis was unbelievable and off the charts, but actually my game ball goes to Elliot because of all the things he was doing down the stretch. He generated 
two steals. He had no fouls. With a minute 30 left and Marquette down, I think, two points, he not only does he tip the ball, but then he gets on the floor, he gets into a tie-up, and that possession arrow was pointed to us, and we got the ball. That was huge for us to get that there. Shaka was going nuts at that point. That type of veteran ability to have your composure to sprint in trans. To I mean, I think he tipped four balls. I went back and counted just in those last eight minutes. He was phenomenal. I think he's the steady hand you need in a moment like that. Top 10 team, hardest places to play. That's exactly what you want. So also kudos to Shaka for playing him at that time to give Omax, you're putting your guys in a position to succeed, right? That's a great point there of knowing who was going to succeed there. So kudos again to Shaka. And and, and my last thing I, I do want to talk about uh, from this Nova game, go ahead and boo Tyler Kolek whenever you want. Bring that shit on. Are you kidding me? Get out of here. I loved it. I loved it. And I want to make a comp here. Um, my comp for Tyler is Joakim Noah. And I want you to hear me out. You're probably like, what are you talking about? You are crazy. When the Bulls were rumored that they were going to draft Joakim Noah, being a Bulls fan, I was like, please, for the love of God, do not get Joakim Noah. He is just so annoying. I hated him at Florida. I hated watching his game. I hated the way he played. And then we got him. And I rolled my eyes. And then he started playing. And you're like, oh, shit. Okay. All right, Joe. And you fell in love with him. And it was at that point in my life I realized, wait a minute. All the guys that annoy the shit out of me, all the guys that bother the hell out of me, are actually the guys I would want. Like, Draymond Green has always bothered to help me, but I would love his energy and type of player on my team. So I've learned to sort of switch in some of those senses, those guys that, and I think Tyler is the kind of guy that other teams can't stand because he plays such a physical brand of defense. He's the kind of guy I think that when opponents seem like... I, you wouldn't expect the things that he does on the court. You wouldn't see it. And and the Nova fans, who apparently whatever t- dumbass Tritter twin that they had saying that, hey, we're all going to get out there and boo Tyler whenever he has the ball, they ate shit that game. Again, you don't have to look. You, you could quote me. Oh, well, look at Tyler's stats for this, and look at he shot terrible. You could show me whatever you want. But Tyler Kolek is such an important part of every single Marquette victory. And you have to watch the games to know that. So you can shove your stat lines if you're going to try to throw that in my face. Because I absolutely loved what Tyler did in that game. And that little kissy blue. Oh, man. Tyler, you got to come on the show, man. You got to let me celebrate you. You got to come on here because that was gold. Let's talk about that Xavier game. What a street fight. Um, You know, the first thing is that I did not love the way that we played defensively. I actually thought the defensive strategy 
was really good. If you looked at some of the tweets we dropped prior to that game as a preview, you know, Xavier really makes their hay in the paint. Uh, they, they win by scoring at the hoop, uh, and they win at the free throw line. Uh, if you look, actually, in the last time we played them this year, they had 44 points in the paint with 35 free throws in that first game. Tonight, that definitely, or this afternoon, that definitely was not the case in the way that they played that game because I think of what we were trying to do defensively. If you saw, we sunk our guards. We did a nice job of doubling in the block and doubling it uh, on the baseline. Uh, we were help well, and this is where I think we started to struggle. Our help defense was not what it normally is. We had a a couple of times in that game where I felt like we were slow to get over, um, but we did enough to definitely pull that victory out. But a good strategy again by Shaka. I mean, yeah, X got to the line, but they didn't get to the to the line at the clip that they normally do. Uh, they play a physical brand of offense, so that's going to happen a little bit. But we didn't, you know, they weren't, I don't think, in the bonus early in this game enough where it really was going to hurt us down the stretch. Um, but it just, you know, defensively, I felt like we, we weren't getting our hands up enough on some of our closeouts and some of the threes that they did hit. And we mostly defended it well, but I thought there were times where we just didn't have hands high on our closeouts. We were a step slow on our closeouts. It wasn't our greatest defensive game, but we played really hard in crunch time. And in the last 10 minutes of the second half, I think we really started to play better as a team. We had a couple of really big steals at the eight, eight and nine minute mark where we had a help defender off the ball, blindside a ball handler against Xavier, and swipe this. And we're bad. We're better at when we're playing team defense like that. I just thought this was a game where we were just a step behind them, and I think some of it was because of Xavier's physicality. Uh, they play. Uh, they get up in you. Um, they're willing to attack you and put their shoulder into your chest, and I felt like that knocked us off our game a little bit. In the first 10 minutes of this game offensively, I actually thought we were getting some good looks. I'm not super impressed with Xavier as a defensive unit. Uh, I think they get lazy and they lose some of their guys on the defensive end. And we were able to take advantage of that. There are some, there were a couple of moments that, you know, when whoever the ball handler was, really between TK and, and Daryl Morsell, who I think had 14 assists of our 21 between them, they were attracting so many eyes when they were attacking the hoop that, you know, Xavier, I paused it actually a couple of different times as I was watching some of the kickouts to three because I couldn't believe some of the wide open looks we were getting. And ones that we were missing, especially in the first six minutes of this game, Omax missed a wide open one, Marcel missed a wide open three. TK had actually a really good look at the basket he missed. Lewis missed a wide open three that he bricked bad. Joplin missed a wide open three. Um, but they were some decent looks, and a lot of it was being generated off of the fact that between Marcel and Tyler, they were just attracting a lot of eyes, and Xavier was sinking in. Wasn't really sure why. Like I, I think at this point, you should be able to watch the film and know that, like, we're hitting threes. I know if you look at 
the entirety of this season, especially in the beginning, that definitely wasn't the case. But as we have advocated here at the Golden Break, shoot, 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 shoot. We didn't want us to stop shooting as a team. And we shot through that funk. And now over the last six games, um, seven games, we have been a very good three-point three shooting team. So I didn't really understand why Axe was guarding us like that. Um, but we had missed a couple of those. But thank God for our transition offense. I think that really kept us in the game to start here as our offense was trying to find its flow a little bit. And the offense was having, I think, a little bit of a struggle finding its flow throughout the game. Uh, one of the things that, to me, is a real telltale when we are in a good rhythm is how quickly the screener, the first screen in our half-court action initiates our offense. Because there are times in this game and at times in other games where the ball handler is waiting for the big to get to the top. Uh, and that was happening a lot in this game. I just thought we had a hard time getting into action, into the next action. There wasn't a lot of flow. Uh, I know we had 21 assists this game, which I believe is our average. And as I said, we had 14 between uh, Tyler and and Daryl, but usually we see those assists more spread out in our team. Uh, I thought today we saw a little bit more one-on-one -on -one ball than we're more used to, but I'll say in the case especially of Daryl Morsell, if you go back and listen to our pod uh, about the midterm grades, one of the things that I was tough on Morsell about was I thought in the beginning of the season he was doing a really good job of using his body to get a good look at the hoop. You know, I wanted to see him be able to kind of get his shoulder into the other guy's chest, create space, because he's not going to deke you left and right like Cam is, right? Marcel is that sort of north-south power runner to the hoop, create space and finish through contact. Um, and then that went away for a little while. I thought he was really struggling for a good, you know, middle section of the season doing that. We talked about it in the midterm grades. Well, I think since that, he is really starting to get comfortable being physical at the hoop. And today he was doing a really good job of that. And, and that was allowing him to be um, a good assister. Uh, he was doing a nice job because he was getting to the hoop and drawing all that attention. He was finding guys. Uh, and this was really a fantastic game from him. But uh, again, I thought offensively it, it may not be exactly how we always want to draw it up. Uh, I would like to see us score a little bit more within our offensive sets. And you might be saying, you know, Adam, aren't you just nitpicking? You know, this team's been on a streak. They scored 75 points. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to nitpick a little bit along the way uh, because I want to see us be great. I want us to be amazing. Uh, and so the nitpicking is more about what I think, you know, the coaches are going to walk out of a game like this and say, what do we want to work on to get better? This obviously is another huge win after a huge week. But I want us to make sure we're always looking at everything when we're making assessments here on the pod. Something else I want to point out, because it's something I've been noticing now in a couple of games, um, you can't zone us. And you could at the beginning of the year. And I remember saying on the pod at the start, it was smart to zone us at the start of this year because we had so many young guys and we struggled against the zone in the first 15 games of the year. And that makes sense when you're a young team. 
but you can't do that shit anymore. Absolutely not. Uh, the only two times they zoned us today, we scored on back cuts. Uh, against Nova, they tried to zone us. It didn't work. Uh, there hasn't been a team in the last you know, week, two weeks of basketball who I think has been able to zone us, which is really great because it puts this team in a position to force our opponents to be one-dimensional. It's going to force teams to figure out how they want to guard the screen and roll. And as you saw in this game today, X was dropping in when they were guarding the screen and roll, and they were daring Tyler to score. Tyler did score a little bit today. Tyler was able to score at the basket. Uh, he hit a three. And again, Tyler doesn't have to put up giant numbers, and we've talked about this many times in the pod. I don't know that I need Tyler to be a prolific scorer at the hoop, but I need him to be a competent scorer at the hoop to keep teams honest. So it's nice that when they say, okay, we're going to drop the other guy to guard the roller, which if you've noticed, the Tyler-Oso combo hasn't been what we saw a couple weeks ago because clearly the film is out. And they're doing about teams are doing a better job of taking Oso and Kerr out of the slip because those two slip so often towards the hoop that when you drop the other guy, you guard the slip. Well, when you have Tyler now saying, okay, I see that, and he can navigate the ball to the to the paint, and he's got two options. He's either got that shot he can take, or he's going to attract the guy, the defender who's guarding one of our guys in the corner, and he can kick it out to them. And so I think it's nice that we're starting to see him be able to at least be competent enough to keep defenses on their feet. And that was happening again today. Uh, and, and go ahead, drop. I think if Tyler can continue to do that, we're going to see us only become a more dynamic offensive squad. Kerr. Didn't have necessarily one of his best games. Uh, I thought his closeouts were bad. His help was bad. Um, he just seemed a little odd. That's going to happen. I, I don't think you know that is an indication of the future. But I do think it's interesting when you look at this game in comparison to Nova and you look at the lineups at the end of the game, I was... I gave Elliott the MVP in the Nova game because I was so happy with what he did down the stretch of this game. Um, but what did we see in the way that this game closed out? We saw Kerr on the bench and we saw Elliott on the bench. He wanted to go with what he felt were the guys that were the hot hands of that day. And I don't know that Oso was necessarily the offensive hot hand, but defensively, he was playing a better game than Kerr was. He was defending the hoop, which, which is exactly what you need to do against a Xavier team that is looking to do everything at the hoop. You know, 30% of their baskets come from in the paint, which is several points higher than the league average. And so you need to be able to defend the hoop. This wasn't Kerr's day doing that, but it was Oso's. Oso was doing a really nice job of the help defense and blocking and or at the very least contesting shots. You know, the announcers are saying, oh, well, you know, Xavier's missed a lot of, you know, really close shots. You know, they, they just couldn't really see to get him to fall. That's because that shit was contested. It wasn't Xavier just being unlucky. It was Oso doing a really good job of contesting baskets at the hoop at the end of this game, or really in the second half of this game. And 
I like how Shaka is able to say, all right, here's how I can construct this lineup based on who I think is playing the best. And Cam, who played four minutes against Villanova for the reasons we talked about, which I thought was the right thing, comes in, plays down the stretch, and plays just ridiculous basketball. Cam is one of those guys where there's times you're like, what are you doing? He's like the typical freshman, right? Like there are times where it's like, oh my God, what is going on? What is that decision you are making? And then he just does stuff that awes you. Uh, He has, and this isn't even just this game. I know he had two reversals this game. His, but he's been doing that a lot where he understands how to use the hoop to protect his shot from being blocked uh, for, he has just a beautiful instinct on being able to do that. When you're undersized like he is, that's something that you have to be able to do if you're going to be effective atta- attacking the hoop. And that little beautiful spin shot, um, I, when he threw it up, I was like, what are you? Okay, Cam, I see you, kid. <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. Let's first of all be honest about that. I am very wrong very often and very happy to be wrong um, when Cam is doing that. And even when Cam took that long dagger at the end of the game, he puts it up. I was like, oh my God, Cam, wrong again. Um, and and that's good. I, I, I am wrong. I think you've got to let Cam be Cam. And, you know, to know when to play the freshman like that, uh, and when not to. Remember, these are two top 25 teams we've played this week, and we've seen Shaka understand what moment is best for these guys and what moment might not be. That is a coach who is in tune with his team. I know I keep blowing Shaka's tires, but I can't help it because I'm seeing decisions from him that make me very excited about where this team can be down the stretch. So I want to tie a bow on the last five games. You know, when you look at where you want this team to be in the next five years, I think Villanova is sort of the the standard. That's where we want to get. We want to be a team that every year, regardless of whether we have our best talent or our worst talent, we're always competing for a Big East championship, and we're always in the mix at the dance. You know, if you look at Villanova's team this year, and I talked about it a little bit earlier, and John Fanta talked about it with us, about how this isn't necessarily Villanova's best team talent-wise, but because they exist in a system that is effective, um, they're always going to contend in every game with whoever they're playing. You know, when you look at this Marquette team this year, you know I've talked about how much I really love the blueprint offensively and defensively. But what stands out beyond that and what's really stood out over the last five games is how much better the personnel has evolved into the offense. We talked about Nova not necessarily having the personnel this year, but dare I say that Marquette has the personnel this year for their system to be really goddamn good? 
I think that's fair to say. You know, you we have seen some major strides from a lot of players since the beginning of this season. And that is something we have not seen in a while here at Marquette. That was something that we were all banging our heads against the wall with Woj about, was that we just never saw growth in our guys. But there is no doubt we have seen that this year with our team. And this is the difference between a middling team and a great team. And I think when you start to even look at the statistics over the last five games and where we rank, it speaks specifically to that growth. We are first in the country in assist percentage with 72% of our team's baskets coming off an assist. We are third in the country in the last five games in assist to turnover ratio. Third in the country in fast break points with 19 points per game. 18th in the country in offensive rating at 118.8. 13th in the country from three. We're shooting 43% from the arc in the last five games. 11th in the country in true shooting percentage. 12th in the country in Hakeem percentage. 14th in the country in personal foul efficiency, which is the uh, ratio of blocks and steals to fouls. 14th in the country in bench points with 30 a game. With three pointers taken between the 18 and 24 second mark of the shot clock, Marquette is shooting 60%, 14 for 23, which is tops, which is at the top five of the league. When you look at those stats over the last five games, you can't help but think about where this team can go. I think a Big East championship is absolutely within this team's reach. I also think that there might be some valleys. You know, this is a young team. They're going to have some games. So there might be a valley ahead. But when I look at the overall picture and I take the 10,000-foot view of what's to come, I can't help but be excited. It's good to be back with you all. I missed the pod. I missed being with the greatest college basketball fans in the world. I'm looking forward to another really great week. We're going to bring some guests on this week. I want to start getting some other perspectives here on the pod. And per usual, have a fantastic day.